Well, I was in Minneapolis, St. Paul this week. I went out there to celebrate with Adam and Perrin Bradshaw his graduation from seminary. Bethel Seminary awarded Adam yesterday a Master of Divinity. And so he'll be back soon, and uh, it's a good thing. I look forward to him getting back and getting back to work. Um, but I really wanted to be there, and I wanted to, to see him. I wanted to, to be there when they did the commissioning service, and, and that's exactly where I was with him on Friday night, the commissioning service when we all prayed for the future of these graduates in ministry. It was a wonderful moment. And then I wanted to celebrate that time with them. I wanted to, to mark that moment for them. So I said, let me take you out to dinner. We'll go downtown. We'll go downtown Minneapolis. We'll have a great, wonderful dinner. We'll have a, a celebration and a toast. And so Adam has one of those GPS gizmos, and he put it on his car. And I was following him in my car and, and just trusting that he was going to get me to this place. So we get downtown Minneapolis-St. Paul, and, and I'd never been down there before, and we're turning right and left and going this way and that way, and I'm, I'm trusting Adam. He's going to get me there, and we get to a light, and the light just turned in an instant, and he took a right turn, and I had to stop at the red light, and I thought, well, he knows the rules, and he'll pull over, and he'll wait for me. He didn't know the rules. He didn't pull over and wait, and, and he violated the cardinal rule of when somebody is following you in a car. There's a cardinal rule. Don't lose the guy who's paying for dinner. <laughs> he lost me. And, and, and I, was, I was lost. Suddenly, I'm in downtown Minneapolis. I'm lost. I have no idea where I'm going. I turned right. He was gone. He was long gone. And you're saying, well, you could call him on the phone. I did. His phone went dead. So I drove as far as I could. I saw the baseball stadium. If there was a game, I would have gone to the game at that point. But there was no game, so I pulled a U-turn, and I'm thinking, what do I do now? I, I'm lost. I'm lost. I see a motorcycle cop come flying by me. And I think, well, if I can catch up to that cop, he can help me. So there was a red light. He stopped at the red light. I pulled up alongside him. I rolled the window down, and above the noise of his very loud motorcycle, I shouted out, I'm lost. And he turns and he looks me straight in the eye and he goes, I'm lost too. It's my first day. <laughs> I, true story. I never expected that. He, he goes, pull over. We'll figure it out. <laughs> We're both lost. It's not good to be lost. It's frustrating and it's not fun. All of us are lost at some time in our lives. When you're lost, you either stay lost or you find your way. And so we come to how the Bible came alive in a primetime series called Lost. This phenomenon of a TV show dared to ask the questions of what is the meaning of life and what is death and where are we going when it all comes to an end? I read a lot of commentary about the show from a variety of sources, and there are dozens of opinions and views to say the least. One of the best overviews is in the May 24th Time Magazine article, Life After Lost. It began with a plane crash and polar bears, then it got weird. How a wildly ambitious tale of science fiction, spirituality, and philosophy changed the way we watch television. 
Time describes loss as TV's most philosophical work of entertainment or its most entertaining work of philosophy. Lost would be a spiritual journey about characters seeking redemption. It would be about big ideas, free will and predestination, science and faith, mankind's essential good or evil. It would be about everything. Lost doesn't attempt to answer those eternal questions. What it does instead is challenge the audience to ponder such mysteries themselves. Lost draws on paradise and the fall, the monster tempter in the forest, resurrection and redemption, stories from folktales to the Bible to the Greeks. Matthew Fox, who played Dr. Jack Shepard, stated about his character, he starts out as a man of science and ends as a man of faith. The story has become huger than anything I could have imagined. The finale is tremendously spiritual. What's the nature of humanity? What happens after we die? To answer these questions, Lost had to set up some universal themes that seem to run across time through just about every culture and through many religions. First, there had to be a force of evil that brought destruction to people's lives. In Lost, that was presented by the smoke monster. take the smoke monster to another level it couldn't just be a smoke monster and I don't think at the beginning of the show they understood where they were going with this but they knew somehow that the smoke monster had to become personal had to become embodied in a person and so this season we got the background story of how the smoke monster really was a man who was only known as the man in black and this is how they got us to the point where we would believe that this smoke monster came from a man smoke monster, the man in black, a, a real person, Jacob's brother, but he could also take the form of other people, which then made it easier for the, the writers and producers to explain why different people kept showing up in the island, people who were actually dead. It was that the smoke monster could take on a bodily form of another person and present himself at any time and in any place. Where did that come from? Where did that idea of of an evil person who wants destruction come from? And why did they, they know that that had to be part of the show? This, this biblical principle of a person that the Bible calls Satan 
and his penchant for the destruction of humanity has been around since, since the book of Genesis. Let's go to Revelation, however, and find out what it says in chapter 12. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers, who accuses them before our God day and night, has been hurled down. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Therefore, rejoice, you heavens, and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He is filled with fury, because he knows that his time is short. And that's who the man in black was in this show called Lost. He was filled with fury, and he somehow knew he was running out of time. He wanted so much to get off this island, but he would never get off. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we read these important words. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure things they boast about. For such men are false prophets, false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness, their end will be what their actions deserve. And you have the same thing happening in loss. This man in black tries to, to get on the good side of people. He tries to say that he's for them and that he's helping them and he wants them to be with him. Satan is, is cunning and Satan is wise in the way he tries to get you just a little bit off the path that God would have you to be on. And the first biblical tie-in to loss is a person of evil who wants to destroy human beings and destroy the world. Another life theme the show was based on was the idea of people constantly searching for something beyond themselves, searching, 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 people trying to figure out the meaning of their lives. Show after show had people struggling to understand why they wanted to do good but how they were caught up in a seemingly endless cycle of frustration and doing wrong that negatively impacted everything around them. The show was also based on the fact that it is us who are figuring it all out on our own. It was a very humanistic, humanistically based paradigm. Maybe here and there, there would be a little hint of light from above, but the main thrust was always individuals trying to find themselves and their meaning apart from a fully biblical approach to life. While they teetered on the edge of biblical themes, it was hard for them to embrace biblical truth. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, we read these words, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word, 
Be prepared in season and out of season. Always be ready. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. People don't want to really listen to the truth. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. And so Paul writes to Timothy, we've got to hold out this great word of life to people and we've got to teach them what it's really about, what life is about and what the meaning of life is and what death is and how in Jesus Christ people can have life for eternity. But you're going to have to put up with the fact that people are going to want to go their own way. They're going to want to be humanistically based. They're going to want to think their own thoughts and there's, there's going to be a struggle that's always happening in that engagement. You see, myths are a synthesis of partial truth and legends or stories that try to put humanity in charge of its own destiny. Or what they do is they set up some kind of a, a God universe and then man and God and woman and gods interact and, and try to, to affect their own saving graces. Here's one of the myths of the show of Lost. Here's Richard Alpert expressing what is really going on on the island. You want to know a secret, Jack? Something I've known a long, long time? You're dead. You mean that figuratively, right? No, I mean literally. We're all dead. Every single one of us. And this, this, all this, it's not what you think it is. We're not on an island. We never were. We're in hell. So for six seasons, this show is going on and on and on about struggle and, and heartache and pain and what's the meaning in life and death. And, and just a few weeks ago, this revelation comes from this character. And it's, it's the truth. Everybody's really dead. And he takes it one step further down the road. And this is hell. But what he really means by this is hell is this is kind of an intermediary state where now you have a chance to set your life in proper order. You have a chance to somehow affect your own salvation in this time. Yes, you died, but it's not over yet. You're still somehow trying to work out where it is that you will ultimately end up with your life. And this is, this is mythological. It's not biblical. And that's where the Bible was, was struggling and trying to show up and to bring truth into the, into the equation of loss. But that's where the myths and the manufactured realities of the human mind start to blur the boundaries between truth and fiction, between truth and manufactured mythologies. Not everything was far from Scripture in the show, however. Here's a scene where Richard is reading the Bible in prison, and the camera picks up that he's reading Luke chapter 4.
¿Viste después tu Biblia? Nothing in this show was put there by accident. Why is he reading from the Bible? And why is he reading Luke chapter 4? Well, let's go to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4 is the temptation of Jesus by the devil. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the desert, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. And so there's this, there's this tension that's brought out here. It's really not a big tension for, for God. God is God, and the devil has nothing to really offer him. It's so ludicrous. Satan says to him, If you worship me, it will be all, all yours. It already is all his You're not making, you're making an offer of nothing to God. But this, this is just before Richard is himself going to crash on the island and he, he's going to die. And while they're all different layers and everything, I believe that they, they put this there because of this tension that they wanted to be in the show between Satan and between humanity, between the man in black, the evil that exists, and between the opportunity maybe to experience something that's bigger and brighter and is of light and is of hope. But here's where I went after I read that part of Luke chapter 4. If you keep reading, you get to where Jesus reads scripture in the synagogue. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is, is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the, to the attendant and sat down. Listen to what it says next. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. Everybody was looking at him. Everybody was waiting to see what this was about because he had actually stopped at a place. He didn't finish reading the passage, and that's a discussion for another day, but, but they knew something happened there in what he read. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You have just seen the fulfillment of scripture. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. And so lost wasn't doing anything haphazardly. They were leaving all these different things dangling. They were leaving philosophical issues dangling. They were leaving mythological issues dangling. They were leaving theological issues dangling because they wanted the people watching to really think about their lives. What is the meaning of your life? What is death? Where are you going? But all they could do was throw that out there for us to think about. 
Let's look at another biblical theme. Here's, here's a scene where the concept of forgiveness is talked about very, very directly. I'm very sorry for what I did to you, John. I was selfish, jealous. I wanted everything you had. What did I have? You were special, John. And I wasn't. Well, if it helps, Ben, I forgive you. Thank you, John. That does help. It matters more than I can say. What are you going to do now? I have some things that I still need to work out. I think I'll stay here a while. And so you have the direct biblical teaching about forgiveness and the importance of forgiveness. John had, had long ago, John Locke had long ago forgiven Ben. Ben was probably the most dastardly person on the island, one of the most unlikable characters in the story. And yet he came to this place where he kind of knew he had to release something. He, he needed forgiveness. In Colossians 3 we read, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Oh, wait, I, I misread that. Only forgive the little things. Oh, wait, uh, maybe. Only forgive the stuff that, that you feel like forgiving when you're having a good day. Oh, wait. Um, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Why? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see, God always knew that we would get under each other's skin. God always knew that we would, you know, kind of do things that didn't make each other happy, that things would, would get in between us sideways. And God knows that the only way to be free is to forgive. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And so the idea of forgiveness is rich in that, in that section. But again, they, they go from that back to, but, but Ben's got to figure out his own life, and Ben's got to figure out how he's going to get saved, and, and Ben's really not, not ready yet. But the Bible's peeking through. The Bible's showing up in prime time, trying to draw us into something that's, that's bigger and grander than anything that we could create or imagine ourselves. In the end, in the end, Lost had to figure out what to do with life and death, what to do with life and death and eternity. So let's look at the final scene before I wrap things up. The scene is going to start out with somebody you know quite well.
my favorite part was the dog laying there. You know, the dog is there at the end. Um, and so at the end, they, they got to get there. There's light. There's heaven. They're in a church. Jesus is there at the end. His arms are outstretched. But they, they, they don't give a full explanation. They're just, they're still kind of saying, well, think about it. What's the meaning of your life? What's going to happen when you die? Where are you going to go? But the one thing I have to give Lost credit for is in the middle of, of these days of, of the early part of the 21st century, they're raising the questions. They're raising them in a, in a prime time network TV show that's going out to millions and millions and millions of people. And people are engaging with it. They're asking, in this culture... Why are you here? What do you believe in? What's this really all about? What are you doing? It reminds me of this passage that was actually read at, uh, at Adam's commissioning service the other night. Acts chapter 17. Here's Paul in the middle of, of his time, in the middle of, of the culture that he was living in. He was doing the same thing. He was raising questions. But he was doing more than just raising questions. He was offering answers while Paul was waiting for them in Athens. He was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, and those who happened to be and with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to dispute with him. Some of them asked, What is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. He's raising questions about gods and faith and, and life, and we can't quite figure, figure this out. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we want to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the Foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. If the show Lost was, was able to be shown there, they would all be watching and, and asking, what is the meaning of life? And what is the meaning of death? And what are we doing? And where are we going? Paul then stood up in the meeting, in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. You have all these questions. Let me give you some answers, Paul says. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Paul says, God did this. God did this 
this great thing through Jesus Christ and the resurrection so that you wouldn't have to be lost, so that you wouldn't just have to go around and around and around with the questions, but so that you could have the answer. Let me give you my lost lessons. The first one is people are still thinking about their eternal destiny. That's why this show was so popular. That's why it, it'll, be, it'll be on TV for years, if not decades to come. And, and the debate has just begun about all these things. People are still thinking about their eternal destiny. Why am I here? And where am I going? People know that faith is powerful. Faith became the most powerful vehicle in this show. Science was defeated by faith in the end. It was all about what are you putting your hope and trust in? People know that faith is powerful. We must creatively engage our culture with the truth. If we don't engage our culture in our day, in our time, like Paul did in his day, in, in his time, then people will just go off and believe whatever they want to believe. And not only must we engage this culture with the truth, we must do a better job of telling the stories of faith than anybody else. That's why we can never let church be boring. That's why we can never let it be lackluster. We can't let it be a whole hum experience. We can't let it be what it was years and years ago where you come and you stay for a little while and you go and you don't really know if something happened or something didn't happen. You hope something would happen. We have an amazing opportunity to bring the message of the answers to the meaning of life and the answers to the meaning of your death and the answers to what happens after you die to this generation in which we are living. But we have to commit to doing this with creativity and with passion and with a sense of great opportunity to serve other people. If we won't do this, everybody will just go and do what they want and think what they want. We have been given a deep and abiding trust by Almighty God, and we must own that and live that. And we must communicate a clear and compelling picture of Jesus Christ because people today still don't know who he is and still don't know what he said and still don't know what he, what he can mean. People go through the motions of religion without ever getting to really know him. We must paint a compelling picture of who he is and who he will be in someone's life because people will follow all kinds of other directions in life and still be lost. The other day, yesterday, I got up at 5 a.m. and I had to get to the airport so I could fly back here and do a wedding here yesterday afternoon. And so I knew, first thing, biggest event of the day really was finding the airport. And I'm not a morning person, so that was going to be challenging for me to do at 5 in the morning. So I had this. I had these Google directions, and they were going to take me to the airport. And I followed them line by line. These, this was my scripture for getting to the airport. And, and it's in black and white, and there's a nice map here. And I was just going to follow it, and I was going to get there, right? And I followed it line by line. And I ended up, I'm not sure where I was. I saw a sign that said restricted area. I blew through that sign. I just kept going. And I don't know why God does this to me, but I ended up at the end of a runway and security people came out and they said, you know, they're just looking at me and, and they didn't know what I was going to do. And I held up this and I said, I said, I just followed these directions. I'm, I'm lost. 
And they said, sir, you are in a restricted area. You need to go back the way you came. And I really didn't know, how, how do you follow these directions back, backwards? And, and see, you can follow stuff that looks good, that's in print, that's in a book even, that says it's about God, and you can be lost. Let me tell you what the Bible is about. Let me tell you about the Bible in one verse in Acts chapter 4, verse 12. Story of the Bible, Acts 4, 12. Salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way not to be lost. We can bandy about questions about the meaning of life and the hope of life and the purpose of your life and, and what happens after you die. But the only way not to be lost is through Jesus. And somehow he got himself into the last episode. There he was with his arms outstretched, just hoping that somebody might take notice that he's the only way not to be lost. There's a great old hymn, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And I've asked Paul to come and to just sing those verses to you instructively the truth of everything about Jesus Christ is in the verses of this hymn. Please listen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Darkness seems to hide his face. I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. All around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. When he shall come with trumpet sound, oh may I then in him be found, dressed in his righteousness alone faultless to stand before his throne. Please stand as we sing the last chorus of this together. On Christ the solid rock, on Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is 
sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I liked Lost a lot. I will miss Lost and uh, I will watch reruns and I'll, I'll try to figure some things out. But you don't have to be lost if you open your heart to Jesus Christ right now. You can know him and he can know you and you can live forever. And it is the deepest desire of my heart that you would do that. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may you draw someone into saving relationship with you right now. May you draw someone's heart who's been lost for a long, long time. May through your son, has finished work on a cross long ago, they know that they are lost no more and that they will live forever through your grace and through your gift to them of eternal life. Father, in all these things, we are thankful for the Son. And we pray in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.